Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. We are back with some more Fire and Blood. And uh, Preston, welcome back. It's been a minute since we've done one of these. Everybody's been clamoring on about it. Yeah, it's been, what, um, 14 years? <laughs> Please, we're not George R. R. Martin now. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, before we start, as always, guys, SoundCloud, iTunes, you know the gist. And uh, I gotta say, Preston, this is a very long chapter, but once yeah. I got, I really got into it, I couldn't put it down. I okay. will say that much. I, I, I was also aghast on, on how uh, long it was. I, I'm not sure I liked it too much, but uh, you, you really got into it? That's pretty good. I actually really got into it, and I have to say, like, this is one of those chapters where you read it, and, and you start to wonder if George really intended for this whole book to be, like, Targaryen history and not a Jaehaerys-centric book. Oh, and yeah. he was just forced to include, like, the other Targaryen stuff, because why not? Because if you think about it, most of the book... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, is Jaehaerys and a good chunk of the whole Rhaenyra conflict. Well, he wrote it at different times. So, mm. I mean, he had already written the Rogue Prince and uh, the Dance of the Dragon stuff. And that that was mm. that had already been released. And then he already wrote Sons of the Dragon. And then he kind of had the intro stuff uh, for The World of Ice and Fire. And so he needed to expand on essentially the Jaehaerys stuff um, in, in, in the middle. And, uh, gotcha. and that so they're all written at different times. So this is why like the Jahara stuff is in more detail and in, in, a, in a, I would say a completely different writing style. It, but like I said, it, it does seem a bit messy. Like in the previous chapter, do you remember when they try to get Jaharis to fool around with that woman and yeah. out of nowhere in the middle of the chapter, they give us the backstory of this woman and how much she gets around and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is messy. Um, I, I wonder at what point, you know, when people get too famous, that editors stop having the, you know, the um, the cojones to stand up to people and say, yeah, I don't really know what's going on here. Like, tighten this part up, you know, or, you know, mm. there's just no one bothers with George R. Martin anymore. They're like, well, he's an editor himself and he's a big deal. So who are, who are you, random editor, to tell him to tighten this section up, you know? So, you know, I think there, it can definitely be messy in places. That makes sense. And you, you kind of see that in the movie world as well. Like some actors, when they go to audition for a part, they don't really audition. They just kind of show up and they just get the part without even having to read any lines. So, I mean, I can kind of see that for George R. R. Martin, but I hope that's not the case because even some of the greats still need an editor from time to time. They make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Or my feelings about the movie The Departed, you know? <laughs> Um, whoa, 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 what? I love the party. What do you I mean? know, but I always say it's like a good rough draft of what a movie should be. Like, like it's it's no one had the no one had the 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 courage to stand up to Scorsese and be like, ah, this part needs to be fixed up. You know, they just he just they had to let him have free reign. Well, what part in specific? We're going off topic a little bit, but but I love this movie. What part in specific do you think? Well, I would say specifically the ending with that rat. Um, there's a few mm. other, there's a few other points where they do a lot of, uh, audio cuts really quick, um, with, with, uh, in the middle when his life is kind of getting out of control, Leonardo DiCaprio's life is kind of getting out of control and he's getting deeper into the, um, into the, uh, underground. And, and I do think there's some, some fast cuts that probably 
didn't fit. How dare you? That's a yeah. perfect movie. How dare you? Kind of a perfect movie. Some scenes with Jack Nicholson and like the prostitutes make no sense. <laughs> well, that one time he's in the, the movie theater and he shows his cock, but it's prosthetic. Like a lot of those things are kind of unnecessary. And I heard that Jack Nicholson himself wanted that stuff in the film. But See, I mean, uh, you, know. you know, you know, who's, who's to tell Jack Nicholson that this can't be done? Like, <laughs> you know, you be true. These people have big egos. All right. That is, that is true. Jack's so, the man. But let, let's get into it. I'm sorry. Okay. So the chapter starts off reminding us that Jaharis, for a large part of his rule, he loved to make several royal processions around the country. How he wanted to get to know his subjects better. But at the same time, he took his dragon with him to show off that he has that power. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of Roosevelt's speech uh, speech about um, speak softly and carry a big stick. Yeah. Kind of that approach is what Jaharis is doing. He'll be kind and treat everyone with respect. But at the same time, he'll shut off what can and will happen if you try and double cross him. Right, right. And I think we've, you know, established in these previous parts that there's, Jaharis has a lot of potential enemies out there. Um, you know, everything that went on with, with Magor against the Faith and against um, uh, Dreamfire Reyna and, you know, these rebellions with the Vulture King. And, and it, there's, you know, it's a tinderbox. Plus, you know, the deal with Baratheon, you know, and, and him trying to take over the country. So, you know, there's a lot of different people that he has to make make peace with. And, you know, he is this incest couple, um, you know, flaunting this in front of the entire kingdom. And that's not really cool. So he, he's got his work cut out for him. And also, I, I do like how they, in the chapter, they also mention that him taking his dragon also kind of benefits the lords he visits because... When Aegon would go to these places with hundreds of his own people, that would end up screwing over the lords that he would visit by draining their provisions and supplies and whatnot. So yeah. Jaehaerys would go in with only like a couple hundred people, 20 knights, and like the rest would be soldiers and servants. But his dragon would be like the main deterrent against any people that would try anything on him. I do wonder about his first location, like why it was important that, that he went to the Vale first, even though it was a failed trip, right? He, he didn't make it. Um, so... This is this where we come to the Maiden Pool incident? Yes. So Maiden Pool is is famed for its bathhouses uh, that could have amazing healing properties, according to legend. And of course, Queen Alisane herself wanted to try one of these out. And this is where we get the first attempt on her life. Three Septos, who are not fans of the Targaryens, tried to assassinate her, but her ladies in waiting stopped the attack until the Kingsguard intervened. Um, apparently, the ladies, uh, the Septos, didn't want Queen Alisane and her, you know, dirtiness to stain the bathhouses, so they tried to kill her. Yeah. Um, and you do wonder who these, who these women are. How did they have access? Um, uh, I do, you know, I'm, I'm very paranoid and suspicious of everybody. Like, the, the, the people that brought her to the bathhouse were, you know, her septas, who, um, Lady Tully, who was very tight with the Faith of the Seven, like, attached to Alisane. Now, they're the ones that also defend her, um, but I'd be, you know, but I do wonder about the entire incident, like who was responsible for it? What powers was the faith of the seven behind it? Like what, you know, if um, anything, I like the guerrilla warfare style attacks on the Targaryens. And if you think about it, it is the only way Dorne was able to beat them. And granted the Septas aren't soldiers, but they aren't exactly freedom fighters either. So like here we have an example of some extremists within the fate taking matters into their own hands. And if we're being if we're gonna have like the faith versus Targaryen style conflict, it'll be incidents like this with like insurgents and whatnot, you know, like going forward. With that which I actually kinda prefer. It it makes more sense. 
Yeah. Now, now he, he Jaharis was heading to the Vale. I, I think Magor had had um, had created some bad feelings with the Vale. Didn't he kill? How did Ronald Aaron die? Um, I don't remember. That's the couple of chapters ago, which is a oh, couple yeah. of months ago for us. But you know, I'm just getting the background on like why it was so important that he um, he he go to the Vale. But he, of course, he never makes it. Um, yeah, I've I've been playing around with the idea that you know certain areas that that Visenya went to like create different types of feelings for different Targaryen kings and and queens and and but mm. I, I, right but I I don't have I don't have you know I have it's not a fully fleshed out idea but it's just one of those things because it's very famous that like Visenya is the one that went and flew around Ronald Aaron um, and then he would and then um, um, but then later let's see. Um, the ascension in is Ronald's. Oh no, Jonos Aaron rose in rebellion, and Ronald was was imprisoned. I see. So it wasn't really um, wasn't really Magor's fault. Yeah. So, but still, I I suppose Jaharis felt that he needed to um, smooth things over. Yeah. Um, Jonos was killed. Magor. I see. Oh, he was defiant until Prince Magor flew into the Eyrie and to crush the rebellion. Okay, so Ronald Aaron was was Ronald Aaron was um, brought in by Visenya. Obviously, Magor's Magor is the, the son of Visenya, so uh, Ronald Aaron was probably pro Magor. Janos Aaron rebelled, and Magor came in and 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 killed everybody. So I imagine that the the Aaron has had some trouble, and so they need to, um, House Aaron has had some trouble with, with the Targaryens, and Jaehaerys wants to smooth everything over, but he never makes it because he's attacked it, and his, his wife is attacked at Maidenpool. And this incident shakes both of them, Elisane and Jaehaerys, enough for him to call upon, um, I'm probably saying this wrong, uh, Jonquil Drake? Uh, Lord Darklin's bastard sister, known for her skills. And uh, according to Alysanne, she needed like her own female protector that could be with her at all times, even in places where men could not go. And this new protector of the queen would be known as the Scarlet Shadow, which I love the name. I'm assuming the uh, the, the character has red hair. Otherwise, the Scarlet Shadow wouldn't make any sense. Um, it, do, it, does, yeah, so, it does feel like a comic book character, right? The, uh, it does. The it, Scarlet it, it, it Shadow. Does. And what I like here is that this is like the first and one of the few times we see the queens implement their own protectors or even Queensguard. Rhaenyra does it later on, but after that, it doesn't it doesn't get used often, you know? Like, Daenerys has her own, but there's an asterisk on, on right, her group. Right. right, her own her own separate Queensguard that's that's separate from the Kingsguard, right. Yeah, and, and um, this is I only th- one I person. Think, I think the only exception would be um, Celise has a Queensguard. She has Queensmen. Well, there's, yeah, right, there's but they're not official. I wouldn't say they're official. Uh, Stannis and his, uh, his, his retinue aren't really officially Westerosi royalty just yet. He's still, <laughs> he's still a king in rebellion. How so. dare you, sir? How dare you deny <laughs> that Stannis is the one true king? <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get down. We're gonna get down. Well, you're gonna get downvoted by the Stannis fanboys. <gasps> What what no, I, I I love Stannis as next as, as as much as the next person. 
But in time, we would get some good news and some bad news regarding the three queens. Alisane would give birth to a boy that would, unfortunately, die soon after. Her mother, the Dowager Queen Alyssa, at age 44, and then again later, at age 46, would also give birth to a boy, but he would live on. However, birthing her second child would be another matter we'll get to soon. I mean, isn't it, uh, isn't, isn't it all very convenient that the, the incest couple like, is having trouble um, having children? But, and then the, the, the couple that was, you know, essentially trying to um, usurp the throne, like, ha- has one. So now there's, now there's, you know, question of succession. Like, if, she, if, if Alisane can't have kids, you know, who would they be looking to as the, as the next king, you know? Well, um, right now, wouldn't, uh, uh, I'm probably saying her name wrong, Aria, uh, Reyna's daughter, isn't she currently in the running? That's true, even if it's, you know, isn't there a swapping and all this stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true that Reina, well, yeah, Dreamfire Reina and, and, and Aria would, would definitely have a claim as well. So, but remember the fate, you know, people asked like Baratheon, like, oh, who, who's, if we kick out Jaehaerys, who's going to take the throne? You? And he kind of, he, he wusses out and he's like, no. I wonder if they were asking him like, yeah, we're ready to support you if you, if you, um, Put your name out there, and then he never did. Uh, ironically, we're mentioning uh, Reyna. Over in Dragonstone, Queen Reyna would sh- shut herself in, and when neighboring mm. lords came to visit her, she would like receive them in a very cold manner, and oftentimes not at all. But mostly, her troubles were with her daughter, Arya. Too much time had passed, and they didn't really know each other too much. Plus, Dragonstone mm. was kind of a lonely place for the girl. Uh, but despite Reyna's personal issues, what really got my attention were the fact that the dragons were being born left and right on Dragonstone. Like, all yes. the eggs her dragon right. laid back in the Westerlands only started hatching when they got to Dragonstone. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Reyna, Dreamfire Reyna, is is special in the same vein as Rhaenyra and um, Daenerys. Daenerys. Um, and, I've, you know, I've probably talked about this forever. But the fact that, you know, she's she tries to set up and become queen off in the West, and, and the Queen in the West kind of fails slowly over time. Her, you know, uh, the people that support her stop and start going to Jaehaerys. So now she realizes, well, well where's the real power? The real power is in the, with the dragons. So she brings her eggs. Like, Dreamfire Reyna laid eggs, but they didn't hatch um, until she got to Dragonstone. And I do wonder, the question is, is what is the element that is causing those eggs to hatch? Um, is it being on Dragonstone because oh, it's volcanic and all that, or is it the fact that she's around her daughter, Aria, and you know there's something about childbirth and something about the youth that that affects dragon hatching. Now remember, like the Targaryens used to put the eggs in the cradle with the with the with the kids in order to cause them to hatch, and Daenerys. You know, still still has a stillborn child right before she's able to hatch dragon eggs. So there does seem to be something to do with children and the hatching of eggs. So I do I do think it's that she brought the eggs to Area, and Area is somehow able to cause these eggs to hatch. Which is weird because Area, we'll find out towards the end of the chapter. Area wouldn't really choose a dragon, but the dragon she ultimately ends up choosing isn't really like you know a, n- a newborn dragon. But we'll, we'll get yeah. to that in a minute. Um, however, soon Alisane will give birth to a new child, Daenerys, uh, 
daughter of Jaehaerys, which angered both Arya, who enjoyed the attention when she was the only heir to the throne, and her mother, Reyna, even so. But Reyna's troubles continued when her lover, Elisa Farman, felt constrained on Dragonstone and left. But apparently, when she left, she took three dragon eggs with her. And after questioning the men in charge, they deduced that Elisa likely took off with them to sell them for ships. She had gone from Driftmark to Pentos to Bravos, but Reyna's men could not find her. So, uh, is this where we get possibly the origins of Daenerys' dragons in the Song I, of Ice and Fire? I think he's definitely leaving open that possibility. I mean, we have mm-hmm. a lot of different stray dragon eggs throughout our story where people wonder, you know, where did that one go? And how about this one? And what happened? But the fact that she has three dragon eggs and she's taking them to Essos, um, I think that's definitely what we're supposed to think, that these are Daenerys's eggs. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when we get to the main book series, we have an account of four eggs that we are aware of. We have uh, Danny's three eggs that she gets when she's in Essos, and Euron's egg that he supposedly found and then threw into the ocean when he got very upset. <laughs> that That's true. There There is the one that Euron claimed he had, yeah. Because there, there is also an egg, there's an egg at the end of um, the Duncan Egg stories. The, there's a dragon egg there, and we're not sure what happens to it. Um we know that it, you know, it gets uh, it gets stolen, and so we're not really sure what happens to it. Oh, that's true. And doesn't uh, Dunk and Egg eventually meet their end at um, Summerhall? Summer I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, trying to hatch them, but they just it just didn't work out. Yeah, we're we're not sure. Those might be different. Those are probably different eggs. But who mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, a lot of eggs, a lot of eggs, a lot of centuries. It's hard to say what's going on. Right. And Reyna, when she finds out that her lover stole the eggs, she runs to her brother Jaehaerys and informs him of this, and we find out that oftentimes, dragon eggs will only hatch under special certain conditions which Dragonstone happens to provide. Otherwise, they turn to stone. Yeah. Or, or as I claim, you know, think, not really Dragonstone, but I think it has to do with the children, not the... I think it has to do with the children, not Dragonstone. Because obviously Daenerys' eggs hatched in the middle of the Red Waste, so we don't need Dragonstone, but... We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But she hatched them when she was engulfed in fire. So maybe it requires a strong psychic bond. Maybe it requires a female, uh, a female member of the Targaryen family with that Valyrian blood and also to be in a, a heated place. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it needs, you know, many things at once. Because the child thing, I mean, Danny didn't have a, uh, her child anymore. Right. But, you know, she's, I don't know, still doing things like dropping placentas and you know birth stuff you know there's there's hormones pheromones shooting out you know it's stuff maybe Mm -hmm. it has to do with maybe it's maybe it has to do with milk maybe it's uh maybe it's about that is true that that could be it maybe you have to be like in that motherly sense the colostrum you know which is um (laughs) colostrum is like the pre breast milk yeah, uh, yeah. Who, who knows? There's there's a million things go, that could be going on in George R. R. Martin's sick brain. And here is where we see Jaehaerys is kind of being a bit of a badass. Whoever has the eggs will be found sooner or later, and they will be asked for them back. If this request is denied, they'll essentially do whatever it is Targaryens do, and that is wipe them out. Maester Benefer comes in and reminds him of the cost of waging war across the Narrow Sea, to which Jaehaerys simply doesn't care. He will not allow another dragon lord to rise that is not from their house, nor will he allow Valyria or an empire centered around dragons to rise again should the owner of those eggs have that ambition. And what I find especially interesting here is that he cites the threats he cites the threat that Volantis would pose should they be in possession of dragons. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting the language he uses that he assumes that the hatching of three eggs means 
Valyrian Restoration, um, which is which is quite a jump. Um, I mean, because we never really think about that with the hatching of. I mean, I think about it because of because of theorizings, but mm-hmm. most people don't think about Valyrian Restoration um, when they think about Danny's hatching of the eggs and and um, you know Illyrio's meddling, uh, but. It makes sense, you know, it, it, that he's if he's trying to unite different forces uh, in in the free cities that he's talking about Valyrian restoration. Um, he's certainly pro-slavery. Valyria was, you know, a slave empire. Uh, he brings he brings many different people to the wedding of Danny and Caldrogo, where he gifts the eggs. So it, it very well may be that, you know, in a, in a general sense, Illyrio is looking for Valyrian restoration. Mm. And I will say, um, I, I love the Targaryen monopoly on the dragons. They, they, they just won't allow anybody else to even have the eggs because he, he very well knows that there's no way that anybody else but Targaryen or people of Valyrian blood can even hatch the eggs. And even then it has to be under certain conditions. But on the off chance that yeah. they could hatch... No, he'll bankrupt the entire kingdom to make sure that no dragon lord, especially in the east, rises. Yeah, now, yeah. I mean, it's funny when Dreamfire Reyna says like he, she has two conditions for peace. She wants one Dragonstone, two her daughter. And later, you know, they say, "Oh, well, what good are dragon eggs without Dragonstone?" But you know that that's the thing is she asks for two things, like her daughter Arya and Dragonstone. Was the element really Dragonstone, or was the element Arya's special blood? Mm. Which, yeah, I tend to think it's, considering that Daenerys did it, not on Dragonstone, that I tend to think that it was Arya's, that it was special blood of some sort, special genetics. But not all the female Targaryens have this special blood, only some of them. Right, Uh, absolutely. Because, I mean, clearly, you know, after the death of dragons, after Rhaenyra, um, you know, things start going downhill quite quickly, and... And uh, there's no more no more dragons uh, closely, you know, soon after the Dance of the Dragons. Uh, they just start getting smaller and die. Another thing that happens in the chapter is we kind of get like a close call for Jaehaerys in regards to the faith. Basically, the High Septon has died, and now a new one must be chosen. And Jaehaerys wants the Sept- he wants Septon Barth, who himself feels is, you know, uh, progressive in a sense, to get the job, but at the same time, he also fears <laughs> yeah. that it'll be Septim Matthias, who in the last chapter didn't leave King's Landing on good terms with Jaehaerys. Right. I mean, now everything is flipping around. So the story previously was the Faith of the Seven has been doing whatever they can to meddle with the, the affairs of the Targaryens. And now Jaehaerys kind of realizes that and wants to go straight to the source and put in his man as High Septon. Ironically, um, he also needs to go there as quickly as possible, but obviously, you know, not everybody has dragons, so he and Alessane go very quickly. Eventually, they meet up with uh, Lord Donald Hightower, who is kind of a schemer in his own right and only cares about his house. And we also find out that Lord Donald has his own stake in the game and wants his own people, his own family members, to be the next High Septon. Right. I mean, the Hightowers have always had very close connections with the Faith of the Seven. Um, the High Septon has often been a Hightower. And, and so for, for the Targaryens to come in there and try to, try to t- you know, get on Hightower turf um, is, is funny, you know, and interesting. But, you know, I don't know if the Hightowers will, will, would, 
would uh, accept that. This is that's all-out war when you say no. We're I want to take over the faith of the seven. Ugh. <laughs> well, taking over the faith of the high towers is, is fairly strategic, considering if you control the faith, you kind of control most of the country, because oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, the high towers are an ancient and proud and wealthy family whose roots run deep within the faith, and uh, Lord Donald wants and, and the and the citadel. So it's like they kind of have connections with the citadel and the faith. Essentially, the old tower power, the old town powers. It's like a, a triumvirate of those three. Mm-hmm. And Jaharis really doesn't care as long as the next High Septon uh, is, uh, you know, can make an exception to his marriage with Alisane. So he and Jaharis and Lord Donald strikes a deal to get Lord Donald's choice of High Septon in the running, regardless of whom the Faith might choose. So it basically kind of sounds like Jaharis is planning an assassination of whoever the Faith chooses just so they can get uh, a High Tower in there. Yeah, I mean, because... The, the Faith of the Seven has been trying to meddle with um, Targaryen marriages and tar- Targaryen succession from the beginning. And my, my theory is that, you know, they're, they're trying to stop the birth of dragons, that you need, you need a certain genetics to, to hatch dragons and have them. And that if they can get a few, you know, a few intermarriages uh, and, and weaken the genetic stock, there won't be hatching dragons anymore, you know, with, with select people. Mm-hmm. Um, prevent, prevent the incest, you know, prevent the, uh, the recessive genes from, from taking on. And so, uh, yeah, if you, can, if you can get a high septum to say, hey, incest is best, you know, then, then the problem goes away. What, what did he call it? The doctrine of uh, exceptionalism? Just uh, Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but once again, towards the end of the chapter, we have uh, Alisane and Jaharis once again suffering misfortune. Uh, they get news that their mother is on death's door. She was having trouble giving birth to her uh, second child with Rogar, uh, Jocelyn Baratheon, who will be important later. Unfortunately, nothing could be done, and Alyssa would not survive the... Uh, it sounds like the, the guy was going to perform a C-section on her to save the child. Yeah, I mean, back then they used to... I mean, a C-section means killing the mother in, in, in this medical condition, in this middle medical situation. Um, you know, you, it's it's usually a, cho- a choice of them both dying or or killing the mother and saving the uh, saving the child. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, eventually Reyna hears about this and she flies over. And after grieving for her mom, she kind of threatens Rogar um, Baratheon and blames him for her death, which I don't understand. Um, this whole her getting mad at Rogar, and she's ba- she basically says you put your, your you know your thing inside her and blah 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 blah. So is is Raina getting upset because Rogar and Alyssa are? I I I think we're supposed to go with modern stereotypes uh, in, in the sense that um, Robert Baratheon was a huge guy, so this 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 idea is that Rogar Baratheon is somehow uh, big, and so this baby is going to be too big and can't get out of her. And so it's it's essentially his fault in that respect. Um, I don't know. <laughs> people people used to say the same thing. People said the same thing about me and my my son. Like I have a large head, and everybody and, and I'm you know six, <laughs> nearly six six. And everybody's like, oh my god, you're gonna kill your wife. You know, she gave birth fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is not a great great year for Raina. Um, basically, her lover Alyssa Farm uh, Farman escapes, leaves the island, yeah. um, and takes a couple of dragon eggs. Uh, her daughter, Aria, is kind of being unruly, not to mention Alisane has had 
you know, her own daughter, and that kind of, you know, leaves Arya out of the running to be, you know, for the Iron Throne, and uh, her mom dies, and now we get uh, another thing going down. Supposedly there's a plague going on on Dragonstone, but we find out it's not really a plague. It's Andrew Farman basically poisoning all of Reyna's uh, confidants and lovers. Right, and of course this makes us now suspicious of almost every plague, like, you know, the spring sickness and stuff like that. And, um, you know, how much is planned and how much is is an actual naturally occurring disease. I mean, Jesus, I guess the same thing happens today. Everybody's like, you know, we can't have coronavirus without everybody being like, oh, it's a conspiracy with the Chinese, you know, like, except, except this is, you know, George R. Martin. He likes writing about conspiracies. So. Right. But... Uh... <laughs> No, no one can die of natural causes. Everyone must be poisoned. Everyone has got to be poisoned or they got to be shot with a crossbolt yeah. in the toilet. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Reyna's whole uh, troubles doesn't end here. Eventually, Arya, getting sick of living on Dragonstone, uh, runs away. And she takes Balerion, yeah. the Black Dread, with her. Ironically, the, the dragon that killed her, her father. Which ends yes, the chapter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so so she she uh was not bonding with a dragon and I guess she wanted to she wanted to take Balerion. I get, the same thing happened with um with Magor. Magor held out on on bonding with a young dragon because he wanted Balerion because Balerion had all the power. And then here Arya finally finally bonds with the dragon, bonds with Balerion, the Black Dread, and then takes off. She could she could conquer the world herself. <laughs> A couple little notes about this chapter as well that come in here and there. Just little bits and pieces of information. Um, we get uh, one of one of Alisane's uh, first uh, first laws that becomes known as Alisane's laws, the Widow's Law. Um, yeah. Which uh, I like how he I like how the, the the maester writing here keeps saying, "Oh, you know, calling it Alisane's laws is is just a misnomer. These are all through Jaharis." Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure they are." You know, like every, like these were for through Alisane. You know, Alisane, you know, has a mind of her own and here here he was trying to discount it, but the bits and pieces of information we got in the chapter is that Jaharis is not happy with how King's Landing is looking. It's looking really kind of run down and not really a city fit for a king. Uh, Rigo Draz comes in now and then, his master of coin. His new taxes don't make him popular. His little, his little finger. He's exactly like Littlefinger. Kind of. Like, I mean, well, it's funny because at first he's supposed to be like Illyrio because he's from Pentos mm-hmm. and all of this. But the, uh, but later they, you know, he's accused of of skimming money off of um, the from the crown and becoming wealthy himself, which is Littlefinger. Essentially, and I and I do like how he comes back a little later. When they're, they're discussing the plague on Dragonstone, and he says, "No, no, no! This is Tears of Lease. Uh, you know, this is every, everybody knows what the symptoms are, and they're, they're going down way too quickly. This is definitely Tears of Lease." So I like how he comes in every now and then, and his experience overseas comes in play here. Right, well, the, well, the same the same thing happens with Littlefinger. Like he, Littlefinger has an argument with um, the Maester on, at uh, the, at the Eyrie, and he knows more about. Uh, sweet sleep than the maester does. And, and so it's very striking that why would Littlefinger have such an excellent knowledge of, of poisons like that surpasses that of the maester? Um, and so here, yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Like, why does Rezo, Rezo know more 
than a maester does about poisons. Oh, well, I mean, he's this is a special guy. Same with Littlefinger. We, when we first started uh, covering Fire and Blood, we said how there would be like characters that were kind of like carbon copies of characters we get in Song of Ice and Fire. So I guess Rigo Drys is the Pentoshi Littlefinger. Yeah, he's like he's like a cross. He's he's half Illyrio, half Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's but he's probably one quarter Illyrio and three quarters Littlefinger. <laughs> <laughs> we also get uh, notes, uh, several notes here. The birth of uh, Corlys Valerion, who is a prominent figure in the Dance of Dragons, which we will get to. Yes, we get yeah. a new Vulture King propping up. Uh, also, potential war between Lys and Tyrosh. Yeah, we also get sickness on the three sisters and. At the same time, this is another time in in the series where the Lord of the Vale is another little boy, which seems to be a running <laughs> theme with this series. Yes, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> it'll always be it'll always be run by a tiny little boy. Yes, mm-hmm. a sickly boy, <laughs> a sickly boy. Uh, we also get a new Hand of the King in the form of Miles Smallwood, who becomes Hand of the King after Damon Valerian retires. Uh, the Dragon Pit construction ends. And we also get a little note at the end of the chapter that Rogar Baratheon would never wed again after Reyna yeah. threatens him. Uh, now the Smallwood, the Smallwoods are are Targaryen loyalists in um, in modern times. So <clears throat> maybe there, this is the, you know the birth of it was oh you know they were made Hand of the King early back uh, back in Jaehaerys's reign, and ever since then they just they can't quit the Targaryens. That would make sense. Uh, yeah. so this chapter in general, once again, very long, a lot of random information thrown at us, but the basic theme of it is, right. is that Reyna is, a, would make a very bad queen. She is, is really not fit to sit on the Iron mm-hmm. Throne. And this chapter really shows us a good chunk of that. Yeah. And, and I mean, she's obviously supposed to be a proto Daenerys, right? She, she's, she's a dragon hatcher. She's getting denied. The throne, um, you know, she she feels it's hers. Um, she has poor choices in lovers, <laughs> who are who are constantly betraying her. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, and I guess if if we if we're supposed to believe that you know in the books the the same thing happens in the show that she, you know Daenerys will eventually go mad and be a bad ruler. I guess you know we have all of these these parallels and and they kind of make Rhaenyra look this way too you know she's the she's the real queen she has the real she's she should be the heir to the throne but it's denied to her and then you know she becomes crazy really you're getting proto Daenerys I'm getting kind of uh Targaryen Cersei here uh all her marriages kind of uh don't end up fairly well uh aside from the incest with uh with with Jaime actually no the incest is still in play here so uh, the incest, the unruly children, um, just not being a good ruler. I mean, they can be, they can be all of the, I mean, they can be paralleling all of it, but you know, I mean, George R. R. Martin is making the, the statement that history just keeps repeating itself and we can get clues into how the story is going by looking at the past. Mm-hmm. The most interesting aspect of the chapter was the whole dragon-related uh, information. There has to be certain conditions for them to be born, and if they're not hatched within a certain period of time they turn to stone not to mention this is also the origins for danny's dragons as well yeah this was this was really a scattered um chapter with a lot of different elements that doesn't really have a a single theme but it has a lot of you know interesting information that's going to come in later on like area leaving because when she comes back area 
it's super interesting when Arya comes back. But obviously this is, you know, the big thing about the origin of the dragon eggs and, you know, some hints at how dragons are hatched um, and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, we have seeds of things that are going to happen later, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like more more turmoil with the faith and, and, and such. And Alisane beginning to uh, put down laws, which will become relevant later with the Alisane reforms in the north. Um, you know, I was trying to think what the widow's law, like why he brought it up uh, and what relevance it had. Um, that why why does he need to have that a widow gets to stick around uh, without a, without someone kicking her out? And the only thing I could think of is that maybe he was setting the stage for the she wolves of Winterfell, mm. and that that's you know that he wanted to have a situation where oh the reason that all of these ex wives are hanging around here at Winterfell is because of this Alisane law, because you know why else are they tolerated and and and. When they're all scheming and vying for control of Winter Winterfell, why would the current Lady Lady Stark tolerate that? I think he was probably, you know, trying to create a law and establish that no, 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 like she can't legally kick them out, and thus we're going to have this situation where these these five she wolves are, are are fighting for Winterfell. Oh, that's clever! I didn't I didn't think of that. Mm, there you go. Well, it was the only it was the only thing I could think of. No, no, no. Of, it, make, of it makes why, it makes sense. Know? Yeah. Yeah, but you know we're probably never gonna get She Wolves of Winterfell. Don't say I, I that. I did a video on what <laughs> I did a video on what I think the entire plot is. But uh, real quick, I, what is the I, entire plot? Just give me a short synopsis. <laughs> short synopsis. Um, Duncan Egg arrive at Winterfell and they meet um, the the widow of the current Lord Stark who just died in war against the Ironborn mm. and she she's from the, she's from the Vale and so she's having trouble um, maintaining control because I think her children are young and they need somebody to lead against uh, the Ironborn and so I think they're looking they start looking to other people and they're they, they're thinking about passing over her children. Um, and so I think she has to form some alliances and figure things out in order to, in order to secure the fact, in order to secure succession to, to her son. Mm. And I think Duncan and Egg are going to help her out um, and, you know, and, and help, help her you know, secure succession to her son and defeat the Ironborn um, who are attacking the North at the time. That's my guess on the, on the on the overall plot based on, you know. You might as well already write the book yourself since George's probably not going to well, do it. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I went into more detail on what I, what I think is going on. Like in the, in the um, for some reason, when you open the World of Ice and Fire, the Stark, the Stark family tree is super detailed at that moment in history, but not very detailed any, anywhere else. And so you, there's, there's someone in the family tree named Lamy Snow and I'm like okay so clearly Lamy Snow is probably hated like Jon Snow is and he's hanging around and I bet like Lady Stark has to figure out how to get along with Lamy Snow that Lamy Snow can lead the fight against the Ironborn and and secure succession to, for her son who's probably too young to do it that you know that's my guess um, and there's a lot about, you know, looking at the, the family tree, like who gets passed over and stuff like that. 
you know, someone someone named uh, you know, Sansa and Sorella Stark. You know, but well, overall, this chapter, what did you think of it? Not a fan. Eh, eh, was okay. I, I mean, it it was a lot of juicy information, but it wasn't a cohesive story in itself. Um, so you know, it's kind of like watching uh, Rise of Skywalker. Like you can take an individual scene and be like, "Oh, that's really that's really cool stuff that happened in that scene," but when it's pieced all together, it it. It doesn't really fit as a story. I do like the bits. I, I did enjoy this chapter. I do like the bits about the whole dragon. Um, we get more mm. information on them. Once again, the potential origins of Danny's dragons. I like how we're seeing a bit here and there of uh, faith extremists, the Targaryen policy on what would happen if another dragon lord elsewhere <clears throat> rises up. Yeah. Uh, the dragon pit construction, stuff like that. It just answers a little. Oh, thing. definitely, definitely a lot of juicy, juicy stuff. You know, a lot of fan service. Um, I think it's really interesting that we are now, what, over 200 pages into Fire and Blood. And so far, the story of Targaryen history is, the, uh, you know, a struggle. I mean, besides being a struggle against themselves, it's a struggle against the faith of the seven. And, and how, how difficult it was to meld Targaryen ways with, uh, you know, the ways of the faith. Um, and I think it's really funny that, like, the theories based on, you know, Rhaegar, you know, being married and things like that later on, be, um, just setting, setting a wife aside or being poly, being a polygamist are just kind of, like, accepted, like, oh, the faith would be fine with that. And it's like, I don't know, like, would Rhaegar really be able to marry Lyanna Stark and not have the faith of the seven just go nuts? Um, or have the people of Westeros go nuts? Because in this story, we're, we've been reading just hundreds of pages of people having problems with the way the, that the Targaryens do things. And eventually the Targaryens lose, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they stop being, you know, they stop being uh, polygamists, you know. And, and yeah, I suppose Aerys still married his sister, but um, it's still, it's still a bit weird. People still don't like incest. <laughs> Cersei and Jamie still had a problem, you know, so yeah. there has to be still more. Even though we've seen Game of Thrones and we've seen the supposed outline of how things are supposed to go, it, they, that still is something that needs to be resolved. Is what was Rhaegar thinking with the Faith of the Seven and how can, how can everybody reconcile with that? We'll I think mostly it's because as time goes on, the Faith of the Seven becomes less and less powerful. Yeah, they still hold sway, but not enough, which is why I think we have we had the advent of the High Sparrow, because as though his whole thing was that, you know, the Faith wasn't being respected, and he came in to kind of restore, right. restore that. Um, I, I think by the time of Rhaegar Targaryen, the Faith just wasn't as powerful as it is now. Um, which is weird because when we do get the whole Rhaegar, Ares marrying his sister thing, blah, 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 they don't have dragons anymore. So they can't really rely on, you know, the ultimate power against the faith. But at this point, they don't need to. The faith has been right. kind of stripped down a bit. And and that's, and I do believe those those concepts are related. Like, I believe that the faith is actually bullshitting, that they don't really believe any of this stuff. They just care about getting rid of dragons. And once dragons are gone, you know, they stop making a fuss. I mean, it is funny and backwards, right, that the faith, when threatened with dragons, 
the faith makes a big stink. And then when they don't, have, with you know, what, which would be, but when they don't have dragons, they don't make a stink. And you'd think it'd be reversed. You'd think that under the threat of death by dragons, the faith would be like, I'm cool. And the minute the dragons are gone, they'd be like, well, I have a problem with this. But it's the reverse, right? That under the, under the threat of dragons, they have a problem. And when the dragons aren't around, they're like, yeah, I'm cool with it. So it's, it's, it's all backwards. So, but we'll see. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a big logical explanation. It'll all, you know, slowly but surely the faith's influence is going gonna, is gonna to shrink. But we'll see. Uh, Preston, would you like to wrap it up? Sounds good. Sounds the good. next chapter will be Jaharis and Alisane, their triumphs and tragedies. Uh, what are we looking at here? Will this be just as long? Let me see here real quick. Uh, <laughs> will this be just as long? Uh, Alisane, their triumphs and triumphs. This is 233, page 233 on my end over here. I'm looking at uh, the, um, the, uh, uh, the PDF file you gave me. Uh, add to yeah, fairly long, around thirty pages, okay. give or take. Wow, there's a such a chunk about Alisane and Jaharis. This is what I was talking about. Like, I'm surprised he didn't just make one giant book about Jaharis and Alisane because they get mm -hmm. a lot. Like, there there's way more on them than there is on Aegon. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like he didn't really, he, he kind of quickly slapped some Aegon stuff together, considering, you know, Aegon's reign was pretty long and you had all of those supposed like campaigns against Dorne and they just kind of go by really fast. Sons of the Dragon, like Magor and, and, and Aenys' period is, is pretty short, all things considered. And then like, it's long enough. This, it, it, it's it doesn't need yeah. to be too long. But over here we have Surfeit of Rulers, which has to do. So it, it, it story kind of begins in the year Three Brides, kinda. It's more of like a Reina, Alice, uh, a yeah. Reina Alyssa thing. Surfeit of Rulers one, Time of Testing two, this one three, uh, four and five. Like Jaharis and Alisane, Triumphs and Tragedies, and the Long Reign. Jaharis and Alisane, Policy, Progeny, and Pain. Um, yeah. And I'm going to assume a good chunk of Heirs and the Dragon has bits and pieces of them as well. I don't remember. But, yeah, like, fuck. Uh, yeah, and, and what's what's interesting is when George R. R. Martin was going around on, on the talk show circuit talking to people about the book, like, one common question that they asked, and keep in mind that often these questions are, are vetted. They're like, well, what do you want us to ask you, you know? And one of the questions, you know, the question that they kept asking was, who is your favorite king? And he'd be like, oh, Jaharis. And he'd go on and on about Jaharis. And, and, and that's probably because Jaharis was the most recent thing he wrote. Because, like I say, he had, he had the rogue prince and the dance of, and princess and the queen written. He had Sons of the Dragon written. He had some brief stuff on Aegon's conquest written. So the piece he needed to write was Jaharis. And so he sat down and he, and he wrote this huge chunk in the middle that bridges everything from, from Magor to, to the dance. Magor to actually Rogue Prince, uh, because Rogue Prince is you know precursor to the dance. And we also so, get a good chunk of it, Dying of the Dragons, which obviously that has to be in here. But I can see what you mean. Yeah, Jaharis being his favorite king... You're not kidding about that. I mean, we might have to kind of 
jot down um, these next two chapters into one giant video if you're if you don't mind. Um, sure. Because it depends on what's. I gotta go back through them, and we have to we'll probably have to condense a couple of them down because I'm sure there's a a lot in here that's just you know uh, one off informations like. Um, once again, like the sickness on the three sisters, which is like one sentence, uh, the war between uh, Lise and Tyrosh, stuff like new Vulture King, you know, stuff here and there. Yeah. But uh, goddamn, dude, he really went to town with this one character. Him, him, the, the character and his wife really went to yeah, town. Yeah, I can't stress that enough. <laughs> <laughs> really can't stress that enough. This seems like the Jaharis book. More so than anything else. It is. I also got confused, Absolutely. too, because I forgot that he and Alice live a long time, so they have a lot of kids. And I keep sure, I keep yeah. forgetting. It gets confusing after a while because I'm thinking, okay, at the very end of this chapter, uh, Reyna says, oh, of course Arya would take Balerion, the dragon that killed her father. I'm like, right, her father, who was, and I had to look it up, Aegon the Uncrowned. Got it. Was he Aegon the Second? I don't... No. He wasn't Aegon the no, Second because no, no, no. he wasn't you, crowned yet. You, you don't get... He wasn't crowned. Yeah, you don't get a number unless you're unless you're crowned. Right. I, I, I sometimes refer to him as Aegon 1.5. <laughs> I actually like yeah. that. Aegon 1.5. Yeah. It confused me because I'm like, okay, you had Aenys yeah. and Maegor, but Alyssa mm-hmm. married Aenys, and then she married Maegor, and then again she married Rogar. Right, so so Anis, Anis and Reyna are both children. Or Anis and Re- Aegon and Rhaenys, yeah, Aegon and Rhaenys are both. Or I'm sorry, Aegon and Reyna, Dreamfire Reyna, are children of of Anis. And then Ma- so Maegor wanted to marry his niece, and they were like no. But then and then Aegon wanted to marry his sister, and people were still like kind of no. Um, because everybody wants to marry Dreamfire Reyna because she's got the special genes. But Reyna married you know. Aegon anyway, and right as he was making yes. like their their royal progression, they got attacked by the Faith, and at the time, Aenys exactly. was on Dragonstone, and he was dying. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So you can see how, like, this, this is why, like, oh, like, the Faith of the Seven, you know, steps in at these certain times in order to try to stop the most powerful dragon hatcher from marrying her brother and continuing on like you know the genes and and the and the you know legacy of dragons you know so that's what i and that's what i thought was was going on all, all these like ugh, these fucking names are so goddamn confusing i need to write this down like we, we, there was a chart i showed you and even that chart is kind of wrong because it doesn't show daenerys with uh, alisane and jaharis which Okay, I get it, but still, it should be there. Um, yeah, just just a lot of just a lot of Anies and Isses and Aegons and yeah, ugh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I'm rambling. I'm that's sorry. That's why I add, you know that's why I add these things, these terms. Like like I'm the only one that uses the term Dreamfire Reina, mm-hmm. but now like because because there's multiple Reinas, like other people are like, oh, well, that's a good one. That's a good one to remember because she rides Dreamfire, and it's just. She's very, she's very important and special. So Dreamfire, Rain. I like that. Or like Dornish Daenerys, you know, Dornish Daenerys is like another term I came up with, and it's like, well, you know, you can, cle- you know, completely differentiates her from from other Daenerys's, you know. So. Mm-hmm. And I like that Aegon one point five. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Aegon one point five. 
<laughs> I like that. I'm rambling on. I'm sorry. Guys, thank you uh, okay. so much for joining us. As always, we'll see you next time with the next chapter. Sorry it's taken us so long. We're just using the George R. R. Martin schedule. So uh, it'll probably be next year until you get another chapter. <clears throat> Excuse me. But once again, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.